Amen. Thank you, Jeff. We are blessed with a worship team that is almost bottomless in talent. And we are so grateful for all those that participate and help lead us week in and week out in this area of worship. I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to study God's Word today. If you've not already done so, I want to invite you to turn with me to the letter of Colossians, chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading there in just a moment in verse 2. We're coming to the end of this very insightful, wonderful study of what it means to be a real Christian. We've simply taken Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we have learned so much. And we are thankful for the wonderful riches of God's Word. When you and I just slow down and begin to soak in it, there's so much that we can see and that we can learn. So we've been talking about what it means to be a real Christian. And the title of this morning's message is Talk About Jesus with Outsiders. Talk about Jesus with Outsiders. Now, whenever we begin to talk about sharing our faith with others, it's hard. It shouldn't be, but it's hard. And we are challenged. And so before we read our text, I, I jotted down six reasons why it's so hard for us to share our faith. It's not your handout, and I'm just going to move through it quickly. But, but why is it so hard? Well, one reason is that the longer you're a Christian, the fewer non-Christians you know as friends. Because you get involved in church and you join a Bible study group, which we want you to do, and you begin to grow and get involved and you build friendships and you build relationships, and the more you become involved in the life of the church, sometimes it's increasingly difficult to connect with unbelievers. Second reason it's so hard is that we tend to equate evangelism with sales. And we say, well, I can't sell anything. And in fact, most of our training efforts, where we try to train people to share their faith, it's almost like learning a sales presentation. And we don't feel comfortable doing that. Third reason it's so hard to share our faith is we tend, and we've been taught to expect, immediate results. And it's not always that way. In fact, those who study evangelism and how people respond to Christ will tell you that on average, people hear the gospel and have as many as seven significant conversations about Christ and the gospel before they're saved. And we expect immediate results. And so we're disappointed when it doesn't happen right away. Right away. Why is it so hard? We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid someone will ridicule us or they won't like us. Well, that's a real concern. In fact, as we read in this passage in just a moment, Paul was in chains for his witness in prison. A fifth reason it's so hard is we're not growing in Christ. If we're not growing, it's terribly hard. In this chapter 3, Paul is talking to us about Christianity applied what happens when the gospel settles into our heart and mind and we begin to live it? And he talks to us about changing the channel of our minds and hearts so we're focusing on Christ. He talks about stopping this process where we feed the sin monster of sinful desire. We put off old sin habits. We put on new godly habits. We learn to surrender our heart to Christ. Every area of our heart, we let the peace of God rule. We let the word of Christ dwell. 
And then as we saw last week, we learned to do everything in the name of Jesus. And then he talks to us about sharing our faith. And if you and I aren't growing in Christ, it's going to be challenging and feel extremely hard for us to talk about Christ when we ourselves are not experiencing Christ as we should. And then the sixth reason it's so hard to share our faith is you have an enemy. And throughout the scripture, we are told that the enemy fights believers at the moment, at the point at which they're sharing their faith. Even the Lord Jesus said that when the gospel is being broadcast, that the enemy comes and snatches the truth out of people's hearts. And so you're in a battle, and you're in a war, and you have a deadly enemy. So when we come to chapter 4, verse 2, and Paul begins to talk to us about talking to outsiders, it is understandable that it's hard. All the more reason we need to hear his counsel for how to share our faith. Look at verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now when you and I, as church members, use the words lost or unsaved or unbeliever to describe someone, we are not making a statement about how smart they are. We're not making a statement about their religious background. We're not making a statement about their politics. We're not even talking about their happiness or whether they're a moral person or not a moral person. We are talking about their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And a person without Christ, the Bible uses a lot of different words to describe them. And we use these words, lost, unsaved, unbeliever. But I want you to see in verse 5 that the Apostle Paul describes a person without Christ very differently. He says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Now when he wrote those words, there were no church buildings. In fact, the first identifiable church building was not constructed to about 250 A.D. And so he's not talking about outside the church. And, and so what is he talking about when he says those who are outside, the outside ones? What's in contrast to those who are inside? When a person comes to know Christ, they are thought of, and in truth, they are in the body of Christ. They are put in Christ. And a person who is not in Christ is outside of Christ. And so he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. And he's saying that insiders, like you and me, need to talk to outsiders. How do we do that? How to talk to outsiders about Jesus? Well, the first thing Paul tells us is to start by praying. I like that, don't you? Start by praying. Look at verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, and that's the idea of staying awake, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. 
Prayer is the foundation, should be the foundation, of your relationship with any person that doesn't know Christ. It needs to undergird everything you do in relationship to a non-Christian. It needs to be something that you do naturally. It needs to be a part of your life. As much as you breathe, you should be a person who is praying, talking to God all the time about everything. Lost people notice that. Years ago, working in an engineering firm, there were two other Christians in that particular office. Our manager was not a Christian. Each morning before the office opened at 8, we would meet at 7 to pray for one another, to pray over the business because we were a consulting, engineering consulting firm, and so if we were going to have work, people had to say they needed us, they had to give us work, and that's a matter of prayer. And so we prayed over it. God, here, here are these proposals that are out, Lord. We need work. There's people that depend on us. There's families that need to put food on their table. There are children that need clothes and so forth. So, God, would you provide this work? And our manager knew that we were praying. And so periodically he would come, just stick his head in the door, and he would say, hey, that project proposal we got out, pray over that, and he'd shut the door. And then he'd come in another time, he said, I've got a problem at home. My wife and I are doing well. Send one up to the big guy for me, and he'd shut the door. <laughs> and that was his sense of it. But here's the thing that happened. He began to see that God was answering prayer as a job would come in that he asked about. And, and he began to see that God was real. At least we thought he was. And that moved him. And by the time I left that office, he had trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And it was rooted simply in the fact that a group of Christians were praying on a regular basis. And lost people, people who don't know God, are fascinated by people who really know God. They want to talk to someone who talks to God. They want to know what that's like. They want to know who he really is. And so Paul tells us to pray. Specifically, he tells us to pray for two things. First, ask God for an open door. Ask God for an open door when you pray. Look at verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word. Now, if you're going to ask God to open a door, it means that it's something only God can do. You can't do it. And so just to rush headlong into talking to someone about Jesus means that you've left God out of the picture, and that's why we start with prayer. God, I need you to open a door. And if that, that door is something only God can open, then the door represents a barrier to the gospel. And what you're asking God to do, I believe, is a couple of things. You're asking God to create an opportunity to talk about Jesus when you ask him to open a door. And, and it's an opportunity where the circumstances are right, where that person is open to that conversation. It is just the right time. We call it a divine appointment. And everything is set up by God. It's a setup. And he opens the door and creates an opportunity for you to share. When he opens the door, there's something else I believe God does. He creates openness in that person. A, a readiness to listen and a capacity to understand the gospel as you share it. An example of this is found in Acts chapter 16, verse 14. I love this passage. 
Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. She went to the synagogue. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. That word heed in the New King James is a, is a Greek word. It means to turn the mind to something, to attend to something, to be attentive to something. And so what God did when he opened her heart was creating in her a readiness to listen and a capacity to understand the gospel. The choice was hers whether to receive Christ or not, but he opened the door to her heart. Pray for open doors. There's something else Paul tells us to pray for. He says, ask God to make the gospel clear through you. Ask God to make the gospel clear through you. Again, in verse 4, he says, that I may make it manifest. And that means to reveal or make something clear as I ought to speak. So pray for God to open a door and pray that I would make it clear. Comprehensible, understandable as I talk to someone about Jesus. The first prayer focused on the outsider. This prayer focuses on the insider. Let me explain what he means. 1 Corinthians 1.18, one of my all-time favorite verses, says this. And it's not in your notes, and, uh, but it is on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Not me, not my presentation, but the message itself is the power of God. The message, not me. Sharing the gospel is like lighting fireworks. Anybody do that lately? When you go up to that fuse and you light that fuse, do you stand around to help it? No, you get out of there. You get out of the way. And when you and I share the gospel with someone, we don't help the gospel. Our goal is to get out of the way. We want to be clear. It's not about us. It's all about him. Let's talk about the message of the cross. Let's not talk about Baptists. Let's not talk about Methodists. Let's not talk about Presbyterians or Catholics. Let's talk about the message of the cross. It is the power of God. So let me ask you a question. If after the service, somebody walked up to you and said, can you share with me how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Could you do that? Do you have in mind a basic outline of the gospel? Now, that's not what we're going to be able to spend time on this morning, but let me tell you a couple ways. If you're uncertain about that, let me tell you some ways you can do that. Come see one of us. Go to your Sunday school teacher. Go to your pastor, one of your pastors, go to your, your deacon or one of your deacons and say, help me learn a basic outline of what the message of the cross is. And you know, if you just stick with the message of the cross, it's not that hard. Jesus came, he died for our sins. He died for our sins, not as an idea, but individually. 
I've sat at tables with people and I've used salt packets and said, here's a sin, Jesus died for that one. Here's another sin, Jesus died for that one. I've sat at desks across from people and I've used paper clips. I said, here's a sin, Jesus died for that one. Here's a sin, Jesus died for that one. And then share with them that if you put your trust in Christ and his work for you on the cross, he will forgive your sin and change your life. Peacewithgod.net. Peacewithgod.net is a website by the Billy Graham organization. You can learn a basic outline of the gospel there, peacewithgod.net. We have booklets. Uh, we have some in the racks outside, I hope, I think. Uh, Billy Graham booklets called Peace with God. Peacewithgod.net, if you forget it, but Peace with God. It's a basic outline of the message of the cross. I'll tell you something else you've got. The most powerful thing you have is your own salvation story. My life without Jesus, how I met Jesus, my life now with Jesus. It's that simple. No one can argue with that. No one can take that away from you. It's simple. And you know that story if you know nothing else. And, and our goal is to simply communicate the message of the cross. It is the power of God. And it will change a person's life. Lord, help us to do it clearly and not be in the way when we have that opportunity. So how do we talk to outsiders about Jesus? Everything should begin with prayer. Secondly, become alert to the spiritual condition of family members, friends, and strangers. Become alert to the spiritual condition of family members, friends, and strangers. To be alert to someone's spiritual condition is something you do all the time. You can't do it part-time. You can't just do it on Sundays or in Sunday school class. You and I are called to be alert to the spiritual condition of others all the time. Are you alert to the spiritual condition of people around you? If you aren't paying attention, Paul says you need to deal with how you are living around unbelievers. We need to be conscious of what we're doing and saying around non-Christians. He says two things about your walk here. First, he says, walk towards and not away from outsiders. Walk towards and not away from outsiders. Look at verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Now, there are Christians who withdraw from the world. There are Christians who hide from the world in their struggle with sin or whatever reason they have. They have a doctrine of separation that keeps them from moving toward the outsider and causes them to move away from the outsider. In contrast, Paul says that you and I are called to maintain a vital connection with the outsider, a relationship, a friendship. He says walk toward those who are outside. That word toward means to, with, or towards the inclination of the believer should be towards the lost person now you say well by nature I'm not an outward person if you walk with Christ very long guess where he's going to take you increasingly you're going to notice the people around you that don't know Christ on Sunday mornings when we welcome one another you're not going to move just to the insiders you're going to move to the people you don't know and increasingly as you and I grow in Christ we are sensitive to and notice those who are on 
the outside. Do you have unsaved friends that you spend time with? People that you have lunch with, that you have over to your house, or you visit with them, or you fish with them, or whatever you do. Do you have lost and unsaved friends for the sake of the gospel? That's what Paul's saying. Now, we've got to have that connection. But I want you to notice, he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Now, what's the opposite of walking in wisdom? <laughs> it's walking not in wisdom. It's walking unwisely. Paul's not saying here that if you maintain a connection with a lost world and a lost person, that you are to fall into the same behaviors of that lost person. You're not going to help them a bit if you do what they do. If you laugh at what they laugh at, if you say and repeat the things that they say and repeat, you are to walk in wisdom means you are not to compromise your faith. You're not to compromise the standard of living that Christ has called you to. You're not to compromise your own purity. You're not to cave in to your own sinful desire. You're to walk in wisdom towards them. And to walk in wisdom means you maintain a connection with that lost friend without contamination. Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. So he says to walk towards them and not away from them. He says something else about your walk. He says, stop limiting your conversations to small talk and secular topics. Stop limiting your conversation to small talk and secular topics. Look at that last phrase in verse 5. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. That word redeem is the same word we studied earlier in Colossians. It means to set something free by the payment of a price. It's what Jesus did when he shed his blood for you and me on the cross. He bought us with the price of his blood. And when he says redeeming the time, some translator scholars wrestle with this. To me, it's pretty simple. He says, buy it up. Treat it as valuable. Don't waste it. Don't fritter it away. Every moment you have in the presence of an unbeliever matters. It counts. It's important. And we talk about everything under the sun. And he says, redeem the time. Don't waste that time. Every interaction with a lost person matters. Two years ago, when I was still working for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, traveling around, I stopped at a coffee shop in a gas station in a town here in the Delta. And I had served a church there for several months. And so I knew some of the people in that town. And sure enough, there was a church member in that coffee shop having coffee with a friend. He said, hey, preacher. And I said, hey, how are you? And we, we visited briefly. And then he introduced me to his friend. His friend's name was Paul. And as I talked to Paul, I realized that, that Paul and his friend had been friends a long time. But I just started asking Paul questions. I said, Paul, where do you work? He said, well, I work over here at such and such place. I said, oh, I used to go in there all the time when I used to visit here on Sundays. And uh, I said, what part, where did you work, you know, in that store? And he told me. I said, well, Paul, let me ask you a question. I said, um, I said, did you grow up in church around here? You know, you can ask people that in Arkansas. Maybe you can't do that in New York City. But you can do that here. And so in context, I asked him that question. Did you go, oh, yeah. He said, I grew up such such church out in the country. He said, it was a strict church. We went to church on Wednesday nights. We went to church on Saturday nights. You couldn't do this and this and this and this. And he had a whole list of things that you couldn't do if you went to that church. I said, wow. 
I said, well, when you were growing up out of that church, I said, did you ever trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I knew he would understand that language. He said, no, sir, I never did. And I said, well, uh, do you ever think about heaven and hell? He said, all the time. He said, doesn't everybody? And, um, and I said, well, can I tell you a story? And he said, sure. And I told him how Jesus saved me. I just told him my salvation story. And when I got done, I said, I said, Paul, would you like to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? He said, I'm not ready. And the conversation went on from there. Now, as I was talking to Paul, I looked at his friend. I would glance over at him. These men had known each other since they were boys. And I talked to him later to verify this. I saw on his face two emotions at once. I saw utter terror that I was talking to his friend about Jesus. And I saw utter delight that I was talking to his friend about Jesus at the same time. And I asked him, I asked him later, I said, have you ever talked to your friend about Jesus? He said, I never did. We must redeem the time. Sports, weather, politics, hobbies, Fine for breaking the ice. Fine for building a relationship. But there comes a moment where we need to talk about Jesus with people that don't know him. So how do we talk about Jesus? First, start by praying. Secondly, we need to be attentive to the spiritual condition of every person I meet. In all the world, there are only two kinds of people according to this passage. People in Christ and people outside of Christ. And then thirdly, Share a word about Jesus. Share a word about Jesus. And you say, Pastor, I'm not a Billy Graham. I can't preach a sermon. Paul doesn't say to preach a sermon here. In fact, when he says, let your speech always be with grace, when he talks about speech, the word there is word. Let your word. And we know that people don't typically receive Christ the very first time to hear the gospel. That's okay. God didn't call you to be a preacher necessarily or preach a sermon to everybody that doesn't know Jesus. But the effect of leading one person to Christ, just one, if in your whole life all you ever accomplish is leading one person to Christ, what difference might that make? I want you to see this video and it'll help answer that question. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. 
Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. Just one person sharing their faith and how God can use that to touch numbers of people you may never meet. What a precious truth. In verse 6, he says, let your speech, he literally says, your word always be with grace. What you have to say when you are around someone who is lost, that's what that word is. And when you share this word, it should be marked in three ways, according to the Apostle Paul. First, when you talk to someone, make it a conversation with a friend. Make it a conversation with a friend. They're not a customer you're trying to sell product to. He says, let your speech always be with grace or accompanied by grace. And, and that word grace here simply is talking about speaking with sweetness, with charm, with loveliness, with attractiveness, to be engaging with someone, to be warm, to be friendly. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to be real. It's okay to be a person with someone who doesn't know Christ. Treat it as a conversation with a friend. Even if you've just met them, treat them as a friend. Secondly, explore the heart level God questions. Everybody's got them. Find out what they are. Explore the heart level God questions. Let your speech always be with grace. And then he says, seasoned with salt. 
Now, season with salt in secular usage in Paul's day simply was a way of describing an engaging, interesting conversationalist, someone who was, who was able to attract attention and engage people on relevant issues when they spoke. And how can you and I do that? How can we salt our conversations with people that don't know Christ? Well, one thing you can do is just learn about them. Uh, people love it when you ask them questions, typically. Find out who they are, where they're from, uh, what do they like to do, where'd they grow up, who's their daddy. You can do all that here in the Delta. And um, this week I met a man, learned his life story, asked him where he grew up at church. And uh, just a very normal, natural conversation, and people enjoy having a conversation about themselves. And so it's okay to talk to them about themselves. Another way you consult the conversation is to ask spiritual questions. Again, we can't leave that off the table. We've got to put it on the table. We can talk about what you do, where you're from, and who you are all day long, but we've got to ask spiritual questions. What questions would you ask God if you could? If God was right here, you could ask him anything you wanted to ask him. What would you ask him? Uh, what do you think happens to people when they die? The man at the, the uh, coffee shop that I talked to, I asked him, I said, do you ever think about heaven or hell? Because I knew he knew about heaven or hell. I said, do you ever think about heaven or hell? It's okay to ask spiritual questions, and that salts the conversation. And then a third way is to create, create interest in a conversation. Now, how do you create interest? Uh, you leave people hanging. One of my favorite questions I, I still use to this day if I'm talking to someone is if, if we've got an ongoing relationship, we work together, whatever the case may be, I will say to them at some point, you know, someday when we've got time, I'd like to share with you two or three things about how to have a relationship with Christ that changed my life. And you say that two or three times over the course of a month, and they're eventually going to stop you and say, hey, I want to hear about those two or three things. A similar question is, is just letting them into your world as a believer. Uh, this morning, in my time alone with God, I, I read this verse. Can I share it with you? I think it speaks to what we're just talking about. That kind of stuff. You just let them in. You know, I got this decision that I got to make, and I've been praying about it, and I think God wants me to do this. And you share that with a person that doesn't know God, they're not going to think you're crazy. Their curiosity meter is going to go up. They're going to say, I want to know how that works. How do you spend time alone with God? What are you talking about hearing from God and Him leading you to make a decision a certain way? And so those are different ways that you and I salt a conversation. We make it engaging and relevant, and people are interested at that point. And then our words should be marked not only as a conversation with a friend, not only exploring the heart level of God questions, but thirdly, rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you when you speak. It's, it's not all on you. We've already seen that when we pray and ask God to open a door and to help us make it clear. But we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit for what we say. He says in the last part of verse 6 that you may know how you ought to answer. Your word should be in such a way that you may know how you ought to answer. If you befriend a lost person, they are going to ask you questions. It is inevitable. Eventually, at some point, something's going to happen in their life or your life, and they're going to ask you a question about God or your relationship with Him. 
And it's okay if you don't know the answer right away. But the person who helps you with that answer is the Holy Spirit of God. And the way this is worded, it's really hard to translate, but you can know what to say. He says, knowing how you should answer each one. Literally, he's saying that your word, before you speak, you already know how to answer. And you say, well, what if I don't know what to say? He didn't say what to say. He said how to say. You already know how to answer this person. He's describing something that happens before you even speak to a person. Now, what is it that happens? Inside you, before you talk to someone, there should be a reliance on the Holy Spirit. And it should be an inner conversation, a part of your inner prayer life. It should be very natural for you. It is for me that when I'm talking to someone and I don't know what to say next, I pray something like, help me, Jesus. And I've been to school, and I've studied all this stuff, and I've read all these books. My prayer life is just the same. Help me, Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, in the worst case scenario, you're being persecuted and brought before your persecutor. Jesus said this. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. How much do you believe in Jesus? You don't have to premeditate everything you're going to say. You don't have to have all the answers. And there's times where the Holy Spirit will lead you to say, you know, I don't know, let me go think on that. That's okay. Other times the Holy Spirit will bring something to mind and you'll be talking to someone and when you get done, you'll look back over that conversation and you'll say, wow, I'm not that smart. Look what God did. The Holy Spirit gave me what to say. How much do you believe in Jesus? How much do you believe he lives in you? How much do you believe he's able to tell you what to say when that moment comes? Every time someone places their trust in Jesus Christ, it is a miracle from God. It's not just us converting someone to our religion. It is the Holy Spirit of God doing a work in them and in you. And in that special moment in the history of humanity, that person comes to a place where they put their trust in Christ. And they are changed for all eternity. It is a miracle from God. And you and I have the privilege and the calling to be a part of spreading the message of the cross all over the world. Now some of us this morning, brothers and sisters, some of us this morning have, have so, for so long, we have decided that I can't share my faith with someone that we don't even think about it anymore. And can I tell you that that is stunting your growth in Christ? Everything falls into place. Everything makes sense. And your own personal growth and your faith walk with God will change dramatically when you begin to become a person who prays about sharing their faith, you become a person who's alert to the spiritual condition of people around you, and then when you have that opportunity, you share a word about Jesus. It will change your life. And Paul put it in this chapter, which outlines the growth and development of a believer in Jesus Christ, he put it right here on purpose so that you would understand this is part of what it means to follow Christ.
I can't make a disciple if I don't tell someone about Jesus. This is where it all begins. And this morning, you may have come this morning and realized, I don't know him. And I'm sitting in a room full of insiders, and I feel like an outsider. And I'm a person that doesn't know Christ. And I want you to know this morning that right now in this worship service, we're going to give you an opportunity to put your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. He did die for you on the cross. He died for your sins that are separating you right now from God. It is your sin that is killing you. It is your sin that is separating you from God and the people you love the most. It is sin that is eating you from the inside out. You may actually be happy. You know, not all lost people are unhappy. But you're just buying time for when the payment has to come. And if you pay for your sins, you're going to be separated from God for all eternity. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he paid the price for your sins. He died for you on the cross. He took your sins on himself. God punished Christ as if he had done those things. He was guiltless. He was innocent. He was an unstained lamb that was sacrificed for you. And he died in your place, and God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. Do you want to trust Christ today?